Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElroy. And I'm Jeff Carlson. So we had an idea for an episode, and then we kind of realized we did it not too long ago. And since this is episode 139, it's kind of easy to forget all the topics we've covered. It's been an amazing amount of, of things that we have covered. And in fact, the stuff that I wanted to talk about uh, is stuff that we haven't really covered. And so I think we're going to get to it. But what, what I think is funny is that this was the same topic that we were going to do the last time on the last episode. And then we got derailed by uh, the DP review news and talking about generative AI. So I have a feeling that every once in a while, we're going to bring up this topic, which is sort of the the modern approaches to healing and cloning and stuff that, that we tackled back in our retouching episode. We'll put a link in the show notes. There is some really interesting stuff. And then what's going to happen is we're going to be like, all right, we're going to do that healing episode and then we're going to get sidetracked by something else. And that's just going to be the way it goes. So I'll put a pin in this. There is some really interesting stuff to talk about, but I think it's going to be more fun to rant a little bit. We kind of thought we'd do the rant episode because we started talking and I think I was ranting more than you, Jeff. But there are things that just annoy me about photography. Now, this isn't <laughs> like the preconceptions that we talked about a few episodes ago. That's totally different. Yeah. So I started by saying, uh, you know, you were talking about healing and retouching. And I was saying the only time I really use that is when I take photos of something to sell for eBay and there's dust on it. Because let's say you're taking a photo of a lens, right? A black lens and the dust stands out. You're not cheating by hiding the dust. You're just making it look a little bit cleaner. And I take photos from eBay with my iPhone. I don't bother to use a fancy camera for it. Yeah. And I will also say that it doesn't matter how much you have an air blower or an actual brush, the dust will always be there. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, retouching dust to get stuff out, absolutely valid. Uh, I don't think there's any argument there. I think dust is similar to the law of perpetuation of typographical errors. Every time you <laughs> remove a typographical error in a manuscript of a book, another one spawns someplace. Oh, my God. That is so true. And it's the same with dust. <laughs> <laughs> but so that got me thinking about all the people and particularly Facebook groups. I'm in a number of Facebook groups and that are all pixel peeping and that are all worried about getting these edits just exactly right. And I was saying people need to spend more time taking pictures and less time editing. And we've talked about editing and I've talked about with my Leica Q2 monochrome that there's a different approach to editing. It's more of a creative approach with dodging and burning and, and that. But it's still, when you see some of these people with lots of gear, a lot more than you and I have, and they're so obsessed with the edits and then they're going to complain that every time you edit something, it regenerates all the pixels. So it's not even good because if you look really close, you'll see that little blurry pixel. And it's like, <laughs> it reminded me of the fact that no matter how good your photo looks, it may not be a good photo. David Dushman teaches that photos should have stories. Not every photo needs a story, but a good photo has a story. And a lot of these photos I see are technically perfect or near perfect, but there's no story. Now, Take architecture, right? Ge geometry and angles. And there's no story there, but you're getting an idea of the character of a building, right? Yeah. In portraiture, there may not be a story, but you're getting an idea of the person. 
But there are so many photos I see, obviously it's Facebook, but there are so many photos I see where people are more obsessed with the technique and less obsessed with showing something that says something. Yeah. Okay. So I have a feeling that I'm going to play devil's advocate a lot here, even though I largely agree with what you're saying. But I'll just go ahead and play devil's advocate a little bit in the sense of maybe make make some broad statements, such as... How about we start with Sturgeon's Law? 80% of everything is crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good law, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I think that that people do photography for very different reasons. And I will absolutely carve out a section to say that some people, like, they take photography because they want to dig into the edits. They want to dig into the gear. They want to be technical. And the fact that it makes a great image or a not great image is kind of secondary. Now, I think we both agree that the image should be primary, but we also talk a lot about process and the experience of doing it. And so, like, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be the guy who doesn't want to offend anybody, but I want to acknowledge that, that, that for some people, the pixel peeping is what draws them to it. Now, how that affects photography as a broader sense makes a difference because I don't know how much they are contributing to photography and how much they are uh, hyper-focusing on things because they happen to be in front of a computer and not out shooting pictures. You know what I mean? Here's the thing. If someone wants to take pictures of anything all day long and make the pictures, it's for them and that's fine. But you cross a line when you put these in a Facebook group or on Instagram, you're showing them to other people. Because the Facebook groups, that's where everything should be, right? <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. Once you start showing them to other people, then you're saying, look at my photo. Okay, yeah. And a lot of times people will post things and someone will comment, well, this isn't very great. And you said, I don't want your opinion. Well, if you post a photo on Facebook or Instagram, you're inviting opinions. It is, look at my photo. Look at what I've done. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this also gets into the the whole notion of whether or not people can actually take advice. Um, I mean, actually, this sort of ties to our last episode where we were talking a little bit about DP Review and DP Review's forums. Now, the forums were massive. And you had people who were there for years and years, and you have all different levels of, of technical experience. And you could have something that you posted, either a picture or, in, in our case, when we post articles, and there's going to be somebody who will just tear it down because that's just what they do. Or they'll, you know, hyper pick out something where you're like, yeah, this is a really good example of this, but why is there. Uh, you know, a floppy bird in the background or something like that. And like, that's okay. You have to just sort of expect there's going to be that, that on, on one side, people who just want to put their pictures out to get them seen. And the other are people who think that, well, anything here is fair game for me to just, you know, critique, you know, positively or negative. So like, there's, there's all that. Again, I feel like I'm like making space and making excuses for people. but. I think that you're right. When you're putting something out there, you're you are inviting criticism. And the question is, I guess, I don't know, like why are people putting things out there? Is it just that that sense of look, I made something and that's it? 
Well, when my son was two years old, he would make drawings with crayons and he would come to me, look at the drawing I made. And it's like... <laughs> that is the best drawing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So... Before we started recording, I was talking about a portrait group that I follow, and there's this weird Asian aesthetic that I don't get. Now, these people look like they don't look Chinese or Japanese. It's sort of Southeast Asian. And there are all these photos of skinny young women in lingerie, not with attractive poses, often backlight. And, and it's just something that they're nowhere near porn. They're not even not safe for work. But there's just something... Maybe it's an aesthetic I don't understand that these people, that it's a different culture and they have a different approach to this, but none of the photos are really interesting. So I went to the group while we were, you may were making coffee and I went to the group and I'm going to show you a photo. Um, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to link to any of this because these are all private groups on Facebook and I don't want to single out anyone. Yeah. So in this group, the first photo I saw was literally striking. It's one of the finest photos I've seen in this group in a long time. It's a young woman with shaved, very short hair. She's topless, but you can't see her breasts and her arms are crossed in front of her chest. And she's looking sad, longing. The light's coming from the right side. She's positioned in the lower right. It's a beautiful use of negative space. It's a fantastic photo. But if I scroll down and I look at the rest, it's Drek. The rest, is that like like from the same uh, photographer? No, 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 other people's photos. Just, so just here's the, the, the young the group, Asian yeah. woman reading a book. She has pink hair. Yeah. Here's the uh, here's the one of people on the subway staring into space. Ten photos of people on the subway staring <laughs> into space. And here's the one of the people walking down the street looking at their phones in black and white. So this is proper street photography. Yeah. So it's but the thing is, every once in a while you do get a gem. And this one photo that I just shared with you is brilliant. I, I think this is it's it's an excellent subject, an excellent expression. The lighting is just extraordinary. Yeah. Well, like I'm not exactly sure what to say to that other than, uh, yes, every once in a while you're going to get something that, that's really good. I think a lot of this – well, all right. When we were talking about uh, street photography, maybe when we were talking with, with Valerie Jardin? Yeah. I think that, that w w one of the things that, that I run up against in street photography is that I have a hard time telling – which things of mine are good and which things are are not. And and I think that is what a lot of people are experiencing because it it has the elements of a good street photo. Like like the, what, the example what that are you're the elements at now. of a good street photo. Well, so black and white. Well, black and white, of course, it has to be. Here's just two guys. <laughs> uh, here's a woman coming out of a bank. Here's two guys looking to their left as they're walking down the street. Here's another guy walking in front of a building. Here's another woman walking in front of the building. But there's a right. reflection of her in the glass, so that's better, right? Exactly. But but now wait a minute. Now now th think about the things that, that you're describing are all things that have been in great street photography. People on the street, uh, uh, buildings, reflections, oftentimes yeah, but... black and white. I know, I know, I know. But but hang on. And so those elements, th those technical elements, are all there. Now, as we know. That makes a street photography in the sense that it was a photo that was captured on a street. But what makes good street photography, put that in quotes or capitalize it or whatever, is something that goes beyond that. As you were it's saying. Something that tells a story. Something that tells a story or something that's unexpected or something right. that's that's delightful, something that's surprising, or maybe something that 
you know, is like a, a, a visual joke. And I think the problem is a lot of people, they don't really see the story. And so they're, they're, they're shooting and just trying to capture anything, or maybe they see something that uh, seems like it might be funny, but maybe it isn't, or maybe something attractive. The woman walking out of the door of the bank, there's nothing funny. There's nothing quirky. So yeah. I think good street photography is generally quirky. It's unexpected. It's like a joke. You can't, yeah. you can't write a formula for a joke. It has to be something you didn't expect, right? And street photography doesn't have to make you laugh. It can be very right. serious, but it has to be a juxtaposition, something strange going on. One good example is a photo by Joe Morowitz of two people walking down the street and they're like, how to describe it? We'll put a link in the show notes. They're wearing these big shoes. So like they're dressed up for something, like maybe for to to sell some to to attract people to a shoe store, something like that. Mm-hmm. You see something like that, you got a camera in your hand, you're just this is this is gold, right? This is, you know, the best thing you've ever seen. So you have to grab that as soon as you can. Right. And it's not only the quirkiness of the people in the shoes, but in between the two people in the shoes is a woman with a broken leg and a cast walking on crutches. And it's like, maybe he set this up, but it doesn't look set up. That's not all street photography is going to be that quirky, but street photography has to say something. It has to be, you have to, be able, you have to say what's in the photo, not just two people walking down the street. There has to be, it's, it's the, the why question. Why is this a photo that you think is good and worth sharing? Yeah. So I think that you have a lot of people who are not sure. And the act of sharing to a group like this is basically saying, this is what I think might be good. Now, you know, just as some people have no sense of humor, there are some people who can't (laughs) identify a good photograph. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, it is something that takes time and takes experience. and, And we have that that situation where it's so easy to make all these photos and it's so easy to share all these photos that the balance of, of, of making and viewing is more on the, the making and sharing rather than the uh, looking through photo books and, and learning the aesthetic of what it is. And so I think people are just sharing it because they can, because it's so easy. And, you know, maybe hopefully they're, they're learning. I, I don't know what the dynamic of this group is like. Maybe people are actually giving creative feedback or helpful feedback. Not much. It's either, oh, great photo or no comment. Yeah. Yeah. So, which to me just kind of sounds like a waste of time. Yeah. So on the very optimistic sense, I like the idea that there is a place where somebody can take pictures and you know, share it. And it, it like scratches that little itch of, you know, Hey, I, I did something and I shared it. It's out in the world. And like, there's you know, a, a little bit of amount of bravery to that, you know, in a sense, but in that, again, stepping back and looking at photography as a whole, I think we have the problem of, well, just the, for this specifically street photography, street photography, I think has been sullied by the fact that there's so much more garbage now. But I kind of wonder, I mean, you said for some people, it's just the pleasure of taking the photos and doing the editing, but these photos don't yeah. even look like they're edited. They're straight out of camera. <laughs> they're not I straightened. Mean... They're, they're not, the exposure's <laughs> not, no one's done anything with shadows and highlights. It's just, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I but... hesitate to say this, but it's pissing on a bench. Right? So, um, 
I suppose that would make an interesting picture too. But <laughs> well, but you <laughs> no, know, I just know to mark a territory, that kind of thing, right? I know, I know, I know, I know. So, uh, well, actually, here's another question that I had. Uh, so, the really good street photography that you do see, and we're gonna set aside some of the masters who, I mean, like, was it Erwitt who basically would take one picture and that would be the picture and then he'd move on? That's William Eggleston. Eggleston, yes, yeah, right, Eggleston. But his isn't really street photography. He, right. in fact, most of his pictures don't have people in them. Okay, okay. So this also makes me think of, you know, how many photos, let's say you have somebody who has a really good uh, street photography and th their work is at a consistently high level. It really fits into that telling the story or being unexpected. How many shots did you not see? How many, how many, you know, exposures were them, like maybe they saw something, but they missed it. Or they, you know, fire five or six shots thinking maybe there's something there. And then they review later and realize that, ah, yes, there is something, but most of them you don't see. And I have a feeling that what you're seeing in that group are all the shots that have not been edited down, that have not been considered because, hey, this could be interesting. Like someone, some five people might think it's really interesting that there's a woman wearing a dress looking at her phone. Like maybe this is the different one. This is the real photo of the woman in a dress looking at a phone. Exactly. Yeah. Compared to the hundreds of others. Hundreds of others. In the past few years. So I, we've discussed how I work. I take my photos on my Mac. I choose which ones I want to edit. I edit the Leica photos mostly in uh, Capture One. The Fujifilm, now the Capture One supports it. I'll do that. And then I put them into my photos library and I mark my favorites. Every once in a while, I go back in my favorites and I'm like, this photo's not good. So I unfavored it. <laughs> and there are fewer and fewer photos in my favorites that I think are good. And I think this is part of the evolution of any photographer, or it should be the evolution of any photographer. To be able to critically look at your own work and edit in the sense of selecting, not in working on an individual photo, yeah. and going back and saying, okay, I understand why I thought that was a good photo at the time, but I've gone beyond that. Well, actually, I think you just brought up a really good point, because oftentimes we don't separate the excitement of taking the photo or the excitement of, of being out in that, that circumstance. I mean, it could be that the person who took all the mediocre street shots, uh, you know, maybe that's their, that was their first time visiting New York or they don't get out very much. And so you have that excitement of I, I created something, I made these things and I want to share them because, because this just happened. Or, I mean, this also counts for like landscape photography, too. You know, like I had a great morning. The sun was fantastic. And the clouds were great. And this is what I made. I just want to share that immediately because I'm so excited about it. And then time passes and you look at it again and you're like, hmm, you know what? Actually, I did have a great time, but the image itself is just fine. It's not anything that's... Yeah, I think over time we can be more objective about these things. Because as you say, there, there is that element of excitement that makes the photo look better originally. but over time and we're changing as photographers we're learning more we're discovering more we're we're yeah. st hopefully we're self-criticizing as well to not think that the photo of the woman coming out of the bank is a good photo right we learn that after a while so i think this is the part 
of growth in a photographer, if a photographer wants to create something, right? If it's just, I want to take pictures of butterflies because it's fun, then that's different. But then, you know, it's not, if you want to grow as a photographer and learn, you need to be able to judge yourself. I, I want to just, before we get to the end of the episode, I want to talk about a major announcement from Glass, the photo sharing website. Last week, they announced that they are pivoting to cats. There is a new category on Glass for cats. <laughs> we believe, Glass says, that cats are a perfect addition to our platform. And we can't wait for you to start sharing your photos and connecting with other cat lovers. And if you use Glass and you're scrolling through the cat category, every once in a while, you'll see a paw tapping on the screen. It's really brilliantly done. It, it, it was really brilliantly done. They, they did that for April Fool's and it, it's now turned off. Well, they did it on March 31st. So they did it a day early. And when, um, yeah. when it was posted on Twitter, I questioned, I said, well, isn't this a day early? And then um, Tom Watson, the person from Glass, he responded, well, yes, but we wanted to get it out now. I'm just looking yeah. if categories cat is still here. And yeah. there are some wonderful photos of which I contributed a great deal. Um, because I have <laughs> lots of good cat photos. There are. And no, the, the cat paw isn't doing the... Th oh, yeah, and the cat paw is still working. Oh, okay. Excellent. I just did it. When you're in the cat category, if you scroll up <laughs> and down, it's not as often as before. It was every three or four photos before, but it's still there. Yeah. So it's like a cat trying to catch things. Well, anyway. And the the thing that I liked about it was um, the, the appreciation button was the appreciation that, that, yep. that, that was in a cat. And when you tapped it, it activated the taptic engine vibration thing so that it yeah. felt like your, your phone was purring. It was brilliant, yeah. Very clever. And, you know, if you remember, when we interviewed Tom Watson a year or a year and a half ago, I said, you know, you really need more cat photos because that's what drives the internet. So I'm very proud <laughs> that I convinced them to, you know, embrace cats in the way that they have um, because cats are important. And nothing wrong with cat photos, right? Well, okay, so let's talk about people who just upload cat photos. Maybe they aren't really good cat photos, but they're just cat photos. It's true. And so over the weekend, <laughs> just before this announcement was made, we had a wonderful, we've had terrible weather here. We had a wonderful day. It was sunny. We were sitting outside and my partner has planted hundreds of flowers in our garden. Garden in this country is, is a lawn behind our house and there's trees and stuff, but there are, the whole field is covered with flowers. So she said, we got to get some pictures of the cats. And I got two really good pictures, one of each cat. I mean, really good. I, I will put the photo of Titus in the show notes because it looks like he is either saying, I'm Titus the cat and I approve of this message, or he's looking like, this is my garden to stay away, this kind of thing. And these were all iPhone photos. I didn't take out, you know, a real camera to do this, uh, which is actually a good testimony to the iPhone 14 Pro of its ability to do things like holding the camera close to the ground to get the right angle for the cat, to maintain focus, all of that. So I'm very, very pleased in what the iPhone did. Excellent. Shall we move on to snapshots? <laughs> well, there's just a part of me that's like, it's like everything that you just said about street photography and all that can equally apply to cat photos. It can, but I only share the good ones. I took about 100 photos and I shared two, plus some okay. older ones that I had in my library. Okay, so that, that excellently ties together what we were saying, because you are doing it with intent and also with uh, uh, that, that, that critical eye to review them. Okay, sure. good. 
I was afraid that, that you were just going to like slide into that. Yes, but it's my cat. So therefore, it's an amazing photo because it's Titus. It's not, it's not some cat walking out of a bank carrying a phone, right? <laughs> that would be a great photo. That, that we could probably make using Firefly or something. <laughs> we should try that. If, okay, Jeff, if you can get a good picture of that, put it in the show notes because that would be really interesting. <laughs> so Firefly is this AI thing and Jeff has been making this extraordinary – well, Jeff has been giving prompts to which Firefly has made extraordinary photos, some that look like more like drawings and illustrations and others that look like actual photos. Okay, so snapshots, what have you got? Well, since I was going to talk about healing tools, um, I'm just going to use that as my snapshot because – Part of what I wanted to talk about was uh, Lightroom in its most recent update, which is now several months back, but uh, they added a content-aware healing tool. And the idea being that it's not just sampling pixels nearby or cloning them from a nearby area. It's actually putting some smart into rebuilding an area that you're trying to erase. And that can be good if there's like trash or uh, in in one of the examples that I have, the trees are flowering here, the, the cherry blossom and such here in Seattle. And so I took a picture and then I realized that there was a garbage can lid down at the bottom. And so using this tool, it does a really good job. So my snapshot then is in Lightroom, you can use this content-aware healing tool, which I would say 80% of the time does a really good job. Sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes you just have to, you know, send something to Photoshop if you really want a, a better quality. You got to play around with it a little bit. But um, actually, I'm going to have a bonus because I will also point to a video that shows part of what I was going to talk about, which was using some of this generative AI to do content-aware fill. Um, and, and this video basically is how to, to like, uh, erase a person from a photo. I think he calls it, um, you know, the, the get rid of your ex tool. And <laughs> there are a lot of tools that can do that where, yeah. you know, you, you, you paint over something and it, it removes somebody, but this was like a portrait where the two people are very close together. And the gist of it is using, uh, I believe he uses Dolly. Um, I think Midjourney might be able to do this. Firefly can't yet. But you take your image, you upload it, and you mark the part that you want removed. And then it uses generative AI smarts to fill that in. So, for example, the the person that you want to keep in the image, it rebuilds like their shoulder and their shirt and the background based on what's there. And it's really, really slick and really points to a better capability in the very near future, even, I mean, now, but I think these things are going to come to Photoshop and all of that, where you're not just grabbing pixels from the image, it's actually rebuilding them. So that was way too long, but healing tools, healing tools are great. (laughs) We'll spend more time on healing tools in the future. We will we will say that we're going to spend more time on healing tools, and then we'll get sidetracked by some other rant. Kirk, what do you have this time? Hold on, let me take a sip of my tea, which is still warm. Now, this is interesting because you, you know how when you're editing photos, you're spending a lot of time at the computer and you're concentrated, and then you go to pick up your tea or that other beverage, if you drink another beverage, and it's cold, 
I mean, that's the worst thing, isn't it? It is. is. So a few days ago, I mentioned Tom Watson from Glass, and he said on uh, Mastodon that he finally bought an Ember mug and he didn't Mm -hmm. regret it. Now, I hadn't heard of the Ember mug, but it's a rechargeable mug that keeps your tea or coffee at the right temperature. And I'm fascinated by this thing because I made this cup of tea, what, about 40 minutes ago before we started recording. There's still a little bit left. It's still warm. If I open the app on my iPhone, I can see what temperature it is because I set it to 53 (laughs) degrees and it's at 53 degrees. (laughs) I know it's funny. I I shouldn't laugh so hard. That that the next thing out of your mouth was well when I opened the app on my iPhone, but uh, you know this is the world today, right? Well, you don't need you only need to use the app to set up the the device initially. It's set to fifty seven degrees centigrade. I don't know what that is in American, Um, and I like it a little bit cooler, so I've set it to fifty three. After that, you don't ever need to open the app unless you want to check the battery strength. Anyway, yeah, game changer. Game changer. Um, it, it does two things. One is extremely well insulated. So when you pour a cup of tea or coffee in it, it's not hot on the outside. So it's saving a lot of the heat from that. And the second is it's got a little heating element and it just keeps it to the right temperature. And it's like I have warm tea at the right temperature. 35, 40 minutes after I made this cup. I actually was wondering if that was an ember mug. As I've watched you take drinks while we've been recording. Because I, I've seen them. I've not actually used one, um, possibly because I, I, I drink my coffee too fast. Uh, I don't. If really you drink quickly, there's really no point. It. There really yeah, isn't. Exactly. But what I find is I drink two cups of tea in the morning, one first thing in the morning, then one an hour, an hour and a half later. And for the second one, I'm working on my computer. I'm not paying attention. And I go to drink some more and it's cold. It's like, that's just not right. Yeah. 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 Well, and what I potentially like about this is because I don't know if you ever had these, but you ever have like little, little uh, uh, hot, not hot plate, that's the wrong term, but basically you could buy like a little plug in mug heater that you would put on, you'd put your mug on and it would allegedly keep things warm. And I think I had one at one point and it basically just burns everything. Right. It burns the cup. Whereas here, the heating elements are inside. Right. Um, you charge it on a little disc where you just set it down and it charges. It says it has about 90 minutes battery. Um, I haven't run out of battery yet with two cups in the morning, then putting it to charge at lunchtime and then two cups in the afternoon and then charging it overnight. Yeah. So if you drink 10 cups of coffee a day, you might run out of charge, <laughs> but then you can just get a charging disc for your desk and it'll charge when you need to charge it. So anyway, it's not totally. cheap. It was 95 pounds. It's a little over $100 in the U.S., Um, but as a tea snob and someone who appreciates tea that's not cheap and wants to have the right temperature, I think this is really good. So you can, and you can even use it with coffee. Amazing. I, amazing. I love the idea of this because it's a little thing. Yes, it's expensive, but it's a little thing that just makes your day better without trying to be in your face about it. There you go. Until next time, Jeff. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. 
see the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast. 